Hi, everyone, and welcome to How the Light Gets In, where we seek to have conversations that crack through the dark. I'm Haven, and I'm really happy you're here. Uh, uh, thank you for being here. This is really exciting. It's time in three years I've been able to talk to you and, like, actually see a face. <laughs> I know, I know. So the way that I met you, or the way the way that we met, you were doing a residency at uh, YNHS, which I was a part of. I guess I'm just curious, how did you even end up in Yakima? <laughs> yeah. Like of all places. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, Haven, uh, thank you so much. It is great to see your face again, and great to hear from you. And uh, I'm really honored. Just very grateful that uh, you thought about me and reached out. So. First of all, thanks for organizing this. And yeah, and to fill in your listeners, so my name is Will Summers. I'm a now licensed psychologist in the state of New Jersey, all the way on the opposite coast. Um, and your question as to how did I end up in Yakima? So to be a psychologist, you go through a four years of an undergrad or typically four years of an undergrad degree in psychology. And then you do four years of grad school. And on your fifth year, you do an internship. And how that process works is basically I sent out like 20, 25 applications to internships throughout the country. Uh, a certain number of them gave me an interview. And then I went and interviewed at all of them. And then I ranked them from my most favorite to my least favorite of the ones I interviewed at. And then they did the same, but with the applicants. So for Yakima specifically, say, uh, say they gave 35 interviews, they'd rank us from first favorite to 35th or least favorite, if you will. And then a computer algorithm takes my ratings and their ratings and mashes it together and basically spits out where you're going to go. So I woke up uh, 7 a.m. on a random February morning and it said, you know, you've been accepted to Central Washington Family Medicine in Yakima, Washington. And uh, that's how I ended up in uh, in uh, Yakima. That is wild to me. The, like the algorithm was like, Yakima, <laughs> that's uh, where you're going. Admittedly, they were my second choice. And I think uh, I think Dave Bauman knows this. And he was my one of my supervisors and his wife, Bridget Beachy and Steve Ulmer. I think Dave, Bridget and Steven, they may, I think they know Yakima was actually my second choice behind Springfield, Missouri, um, <laughs> only because the city of Springfield, I thought was super cool. But I just saw like the touristy cool, like college bars and all that. But uh, I really like Springfield. But honestly, uh, my two years that I spent in Yakima for my internship and postdoc, uh, were two of most incredible years of my life. I I freaking loved it there and would have stayed if I could. Well, I I would have gladly helped you just like <laughs> hide so you didn't have to leave. But <laughs> well, just say the reason I left is because of Kelsey's residency. So yes. my fiance, she's going to be a surgeon and her residency they do the same thing in medicine where she ranks a lot of places. They rank her and the algorithm spat us out in New Jersey. So <laughs> here we go. Another thing that I uh, have heard you talk about is um, you actually um, were given more residency or like more that you had to do when you moved to Jersey. Is that? Yeah. So ironically, um, always heard throughout grad school that California is the hardest state to get licensed in as a psychologist. But come to find out when we moved to New Jersey, New Jersey requires two years of a postdoc. So 49 out of the 50 other states in the country require one year. 
we just happened to land in the one that like I had to repeat my postdoc year again, um, unfortunately. Because of course you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a one in 50 chance and here we are. Oh, that sounds frustrating, but you got through it and now you're freaking licensed. <laughs> yeah, my license came in like three weeks ago and I, I took my big bad test in October um, and passed it. And now I am, I am done, done, done. And it feels good. Yay. Which I have to say, super glad that the world has a counselor like you as a person, because you're great. <laughs> um, Thank you. I appreciate that, Haven. Yeah. The thing that I most uh, remember or associate you with is, um, of course, I um, met with you in a counseling capacity at YNHS, but um, also just like in the main dining room, like kind of area. Um, and before I go on, I should mention that uh, the space is a uh, queer youth resource center slash safe space in Yakima where I live. Those are the times that I remember of just like, usually no one else was there on those days. And just like, it was like you, me and the uh, case manager at the time. And just talking about like psychology, trauma, superheroes, all the things. <laughs> yeah. So great. And actually, um, the first memory that I have of you, which will not ever not be one of my favorite memories <laughs> that um, is you were just coming in as an intern. And uh, I'd heard, like, people saying, like, there's going to be a new intern coming in. His name's Will. And I feel like it's a pretty universal thing to be, you know, anxious when a new mental health person comes in. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember you came into the room and I look over and you have Superman socks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still have those. Peeking out, you do? That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and immediately with that and the um, conversation that followed, like just off the cuff about like how Superman is the ideal way to deal with trauma. <laughs> Like, yeah. Um, like I immediately was just like, I'm gonna like you. <laughs> it, you know, it's a, uh, it's so uh, unique and wonderful that you bring that up. I, you know, make my living talking to people, having tons and tons of conversations, and truly, there'll be plenty of times where I think like, how much does anybody remember about any given specific things in these conversations? And to hear you say that, like you remember specifically like Superman being the good response to trauma, Batman being the less ideal response to trauma. Like, 
in my mind like oh yeah like it's just me kind of geeking out on something but like like you actually like oh yeah like you like tuck that away like put that in you know actually remembered it and uh it's just cool to know that like yeah like these these conversations can actually you know last you know yeah absolutely and um I mean I'm a sentimental person I will admit (laughs) and so I I remember quite a bit of like the the talks that we had things it was yeah can I share an early memory as well of course so um I'm trying to think of like the way to frame it I think I think maybe a way I would say as maybe a little internally uncomfortable but I felt like having this conversation hopefully would be worth it but one of the early times where you and I needed to go into like the main building for something so like uh you know like i I offered as like, Hey, like I've seen people just like push you like your wheelchair and just like, do it. Do you want me to push you? Or do you want to like do it yourself? Uh, and I remember feeling like, damn, like that's like awkward to ask. I like, might I do it. And your response was really generous or really kind. You're like, honestly, like, I'd rather do it myself. unless like, there's ice and I'm sliding or like something crazy, but you're like, Oh, thanks for asking. Like, I really appreciate that. Uh, I'll, I'll do it myself most of the time and I'll let you know. And I remember even though I felt really awkward um, and if it was uncomfortable for us, uh, hopefully it was again, for like the service of uh, me, not like assuming that I should push you every time or assuming I should never push you or whatever it was to make sure that, uh, that we were on a good course. And uh, that, that conversation, just how, how well you handled that uh, always stuck out. And I imagine either a, that's a conversation you have a lot with people or B it's a conversation you never have with people. And maybe you wish people would ask or something like that. That that's a really good uh, question, and I do remember that. And it was you you did handle it very well. So, um, kind of goes either way. But like, there's the assumption that like, oh, I need to help you, <laughs> and then it's like, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> or like, yeah, that that's most of it. <laughs> Would you say that you have that conversation a lot or usually it is the assumption that people assume that they'll help? Oh, so you were just saying that most people assume to help you, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, mm, mm, I don't, yeah, I don't often get the, um, the opposite response of like, and I think again, it goes into psychology of people being like I need to help I need to be good (laughs) yeah and uh which is you know fine in itself but also I got it um (laughs) 100% and uh, I'll I'll say this one last thing and I'll let you get to you know some of the questions you want to make sure we get to um I taught a class this semester on theory and technology of uh, theory and interventions of uh, psychology And I felt like I tried to belabor the point of like, most people can solve their own problems. Like they might need some ideas, like you're not trying to fix anybody, like offer help if they ask, have ideas at the ready, but really it's like most people can, can fix themselves. Like just the idea of like instantly offering help, uh, always seems a little, um, belittling or overbearing in a way, like, no, you can handle it. Like it's a dry day. Like it's fine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I will, 
I will say that um, I do appreciate a lot of the time when someone does offer, like, when they notice that it's, like, a, like hard terrain or, like, a uh, obstacle or whatever. Um, when people offer in that situation like you did, um, I do appreciate that because I, you know, people in general <laughs> would need help with... It makes life easier. Yeah, uh, but yeah, when it comes to people just being like, do you need help? Can I push you down the sidewalk? I'm like, ma'am, no. <laughs> like a nice normal day? Like, yeah, it's yeah. fine. I, uh, I got it. I'm fine. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, let's see. And one more thing I wanted to mention is... um and geeking out a little bit here is uh, when we uh, like we're, you know, just hanging out and talking about, you know, uh, stuff. You introduced me to this day, my favorite poem in the world. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, the guest house by mm-hmm. Rumi. And let me pull it up really quick and actually read it because people need to hear how freaking gorgeous this is. It's just so helpful in life, you know, or as you um, mentioned to me when you brought it up that, um, and I'll, I'll let listeners, uh, hear for themselves why it's helpful so it says this being human is a guest house every morning a new arrival a joy a depression a meanness some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor welcome and entertain them all even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture Still treat every guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And ah. <laughs> I'll, uh, Man, my, my response, and I feel like uh, it's one of those things that, like, if you listen to it at different chapters in your life, it'll keep providing some new insight. Um, most recent, so Kelsey's birthday is in a couple of days. Um, I proposed to her around this time last year, so it's, you know, kind of just a very sentimental time. Thank you. Um, and so, of course, you know, my mind is thinking about her and I, and I feel like hearing this poem, like, Man, uh, if there's a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep away, sweep away your house empty of its furniture, uh, I had a chapter in life where I, man, I went through a, an incredible heartbreak. I cried myself to sleep like 35 days straight. I was uh, absolutely in despair. Um, at the same time, my mom went through a trauma. My dad, all three of us went through kind of our three separate uh, issues or traumas. And as incredibly difficult as that 2015, yeah, 2015 year was, like, 
man, having gone through it and be where I am now, like I can feel like a, a, a lot deeper sense of gratitude and peace and uh, love for Kelsey as a function of going through such an intense heartbreak. I would never want to go through it again and not to belittle anyone's suffering or pain, but as cliche as it is, like, man, like that, uh, that rain made me really thankful for the, the sunshine I have now, you know? Yes, for sure. And I've actually, you know, had the same thought myself, like, um, thinking as, um, the guest house myself, um, that like, yes, all of those big, crazy emotions will come in and then they'll leave <laughs> and your capacity for new things is then open to you, which in there's that, um, like, admittedly like the t- the times when like all the emotions are in your house like those are huge and super hard to deal with as I would know um <laughs> uh, but as you were saying like it gives you the capacity that maybe you didn't have before um so yeah that's it, in in to to kind of keep going, I would say like it teaches you you can freaking do it. Mm-hmm. That you've you've been open in some of our conversations at the space of like man, like you've you've experienced some pretty painful uh, events in life, and the pain is real. But like looking back, like damn, like I can freaking do it. Like yeah, you know, me going through that heartbreak, like I I can do it. Um, it makes me more grateful for Kelsey, of course, but also like I can like. I can be with myself when I'm having just crazy, intense, overwhelming emotions and crying at the drop of a hat. Every time I sneeze, I thought I was about to start bawling because I was so, so like hurt and heartbroken. Um, it, 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 I can laugh now, but like, man, it was, it was tough. Um, so yeah, like it, it proves that you can do it. Um, and ultimately, like, like we've said before, like emotions aren't the enemy. They're just simply a guest, simply a messenger. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think like in the same way that, um, you know, we humans have capacity for, you know, all these emotions, all these like, all this room for the chaos and things. You've talked to me a lot and you've been a big um, advocate for it is uh, viewpoint diversity, mm-hmm. um, as you were, or it's called. and. Um, uh, if you could explain, you know, what that idea is, and then I guess, like, why in this, you know, in particular, this, like, world, this time, this uh, craziness, um, <laughs> like, why you think that, that that such a thing is important? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, John Stuart Mill said, he who knows only his side knows little of that. And I think that quote summarizes the idea of viewpoint diversity very uh, eloquently. So essentially, viewpoint diversity is the idea that um, any, any idea, any perspective, any uh, value or belief you have can only be strengthened if uh, you encounter somebody uh, that has a different idea. However, you need to have a good relationship with that person to get the full effect. 
So for example, um, abortion is a big conversation that, uh, that we're having a lot throughout our country that we have very different and very polarizing views on. Um, and I would say to utilize the strength of viewpoint diversity, um, find somebody who you love and respect that has a different uh, opinion on it than you do. So if you're pro-choice, find somebody that you love and respect that's pro-life. And the idea is not to change anyone's mind, but the idea is that you both have a really good, genuine conversation that when you leave that conversation, either A, you may edit your original uh, beliefs a little bit to better accommodate their questions and challenges, or B, you're, you feel even stronger about your view in the first place because you're able to field questions and challenges. Mm. Oh, and uh, your second part was like why, why it's needed or uh, kind of like what it looks like here in 2022, 2023. Yeah. Uh, Man, obviously, I'd say uh, a lot of these political issues, uh, LGBT, uh, abortion, taxes, redistribution, all that, like all these things are like uh, conversations that can get very heated and, and get away with, uh, get away from us. And we become more combative. And anytime you get into an argument with the hope of trying to change someone's mind or they do the same to you, you just both kind of like stick your feet in the sand and become this really evil tug of war. Um, you leave feeling more hatred to the other person and the other side. But I think ultimately, uh, we probably all have a lot more in common with one another than we have different. Um, people that view dif- uh, have different views on abortion probably still have the same, like, we want the world to be a better place. We have that in common. We want people to love. We want people to have happiness. We all have that in common. So we probably have more in common with one another than we, than we differ. Um, and so I think viewpoint diversity just uh, can highlight that. And one last thing I'll say on it, or an additional thing I'll say, um, I think colleges, businesses, uh, the country in general is trying to struggle with diversity and representation and how to do so in a way that feels authentic, um, but is also meaningful. I think I think a lot of uh, places default to people that look different, but think the same. And I think that might be half the story, but I think you get a lot larger net effect if you have people that look different, but also think differently. Because at the end of the day, not all great minds think alike. We need people that we have relationships with that challenge our views, challenge our beliefs. So that way, uh, both parties become stronger in the end. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really good. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yay it's snowing is it yeah it is like beautiful and sunny here so i'm a little bit envious oh can we switch (laughs) (laughs) right right um yeah that's a really good or yeah really good um answer to my question and uh i think um a thing that it makes me think of uh different like there was a different connotation to this quote um when when the person said it and I can't remember exactly what it was but um there's the saying that like it like if you have like if you're able to share something be it you know privilege or um you know thinking or you know anything um build a longer table Mm. not a higher wall yeah and i think to the point of um viewpoint diversity i think that um 
as you were like pointing out that like you might you know or not you might you think differently like and but you can still come to that you know uh metaphorical table of like like differing thoughts different differing beliefs and still be like you're a human i'm also a human (laughs) yeah that being said and going into my uh last question here is um i guess to that point of um the diversity of like accepting the diversity of that thought and that um those relationships how in your ideal world, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you hope would happen if, like, from that viewpoint, diversity of, like, we're all human, we all, you know, exist, and we have value, and we think differently, and we are different. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, ultimately, like, there would be more knowledge to be had. Mm. Um, So I think, like, as a stipulation, like, knowledge is not a static thing. It's a growing, evolving uh, concept. So the knowledge we had 50 years ago looks different than today. We used to think peanut butter gave you cancer and cigarettes were cool for kids. So, like, obviously that that knowledge has greatly evolved uh, compared to today. Mm. Um, So knowledge, not only does it evolve and change over time, but also uh, I think the thing that we don't often uh, give credit to is that knowledge is a social event. Um, thinking, uh, thinking something in your, in your own or in private, having your own ideas, that's just ideas in theory. Um, true knowledge happens whenever you put an idea out there and then you put it in the, the gladiatorial arena of other science, knowledge, and ideas and see if it holds up. Uh, peanut butter gives cancer. I can think that in my own, but whenever I run tests on it, I see that, no, it doesn't. Other people challenge my hypothesis. No, it doesn't. So we now have the knowledge peanut butter does not cause cancer, if you will. So I think like understanding that knowledge is also a social event or a social uh, phenomenon. Um, viewpoint diversity would ideally enhance and increase the amount of like knowledge that's out there for us to access. Because yeah. um, again, like if I, if I feel certain ways about... Um, abortion and you feel different ways because I like and respect you enough. I can hear your opinions and hopefully vice versa. Um, I become more knowledgeable about uh, abortion and then I am more open to further conversations. The world just gets to be a little bit nicer to one another in a, especially in a time where niceness is in woefully short supply. Oh, yes. (laughs) That is so true. And a quick I'd add for an aside, um, is mm-hmm. if people are interested, some of the resources I would recommend. Jonathan Haidt, uh, his book, The Righteous Mind, came out in 2013. It talks about why our politics and religion and all these things, why are they so divisive? Why do we get so mad when we're talking about it? Um, and the basically the uh, artful necessity of viewpoint diversity. So highly recommend. I also say being that it was written in 2013, I think it'd have been really interesting if it was written after 2016 when Donald Trump was elected to see how it may have affected some of the, the literature in it. But it's it's a pretty heady book. I'd say it's written at like a college freshman level, like not too bad, but like there might be a few words that are like not commonly used, like ubiquitous or something or ambiguous or something like that, that you might would have to look up just as a as a disclaimer on that. Secondly, um, Jonathan Rauch wrote a book, I think a 
last year, 2021, maybe 2020, called the Constitution of Knowledge. And it talks about knowledge being a social event and uh, about some of the aspects of knowledge and what's called epistemology, which is a study of how we know what is true um, and the study of knowledge. And so the Constitution of Knowledge by Jonathan Rauch and uh, the Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. If you're interested in these topics, those would be two of the, the go-to guys. I've read and uh, enjoyed both of those books very much. I can vouch for The Righteous Mind because I have read that one. I haven't, oh, yeah. I haven't quite gotten around to... Uh, Yes, when like when you mentioned height, I think when it was back when you were in Yakima and we were at meeting, I got I got his books because I was just like, this guy's smart. I need to read what he's reading. <laughs> I think that's all the questions I had. So uh thank you for being here and taking time out of your I'm sure very busy schedule. With. I'm more than happy. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me this time on How the Light Gets In. Until next time, please take care of yourselves. And if you can, take care of each other.